Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, that was a piece of bread. <laughs> Sorry. I am recording. All good, thank you, mate. Alright, Lawrence. Hello and welcome to the front three. My name is Adam Boltwood. Joining me as always is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. How are you doing? Good to have you. I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm delighted to also have Dave O'Brien as always. Hi Adam, mate. How are you, pal? Good. Very well. Are you eating anything right now? Um, no, but there was there's a piece of, uh, of bread that's frozen on a plate near me that my mum did bring to me <laughs> as, a, as a snack, but I think it's a little bit frozen still, uh, so you have to leave it there. Have you just gone home, then? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just went home. Just been on the train, and then uh, got picked up by my lovely mother, taken to the station. Hello, Dave's mother, is all I will say. Um, well, first time Adam said that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for listening to The Front Three. Lovely to have you. Uh, before we get into the news and all that good stuff, comment of the week. Um, there's two up for contention, um, and I'll, I'll let you, Dave and Lawrence, decide the winner. Number one is from The Hole, at We Are yeah. The Hole. Yeah. So, seems to have set up a, a, a fan Twitter account. His tweet was, We Are The Hole, the official supporters of the At The Front Three. I like that a lot. Someone has I do, yeah. It's got eight followers. I'm pretty sure three of them are us. Uh, so, I mean, he needs to get out there. But he's Maybe done like the a little... go and follow. I wonder if we can get uh, the followers of the whole more followers than we have right he's now. Done, yeah, I'd love it. But he has done like a little banner, um, you know, the whole, know, in the front three sort of like logo style. So it was real research, up. didn't it? Because yeah, the, they must have gone the font. font. Yeah, and all that sort of stuff. The colours. So, yeah. Good work, mate. I, I want to know why you've got Gianfranco Zola as the, as the profile picture. But if you have created the whole Twitter account, please get in touch because you're a great person. Um, we also had a comment here from Guru Pret Kaushik who said, you should name the Q&A pod as the extra hole or the bum hole. Very good. So, I mean... More banter. Who gets comment of the week out of that then? For your... Uh, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the person who created the Twitter account. Excellent. Get in touch whoever created that Twitter account because you are the best. Um, other news: the poll from last week, Q and A poll. Oh, yeah. About yeah. whether you should do certain things on a pitch or you should yeah. go to the toilet. Sixty-nine um, percent of people in in the final poll would rather concede a goal than shit themselves. So I feel completely vindicated. I feel like turn them into winners. Got to yeah. turn those those sixty nine percent into winners, including you, Adam. Mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the point. It's your mentality, Adam. Let's get into a little bit of news then. Um, we've got the talking point section coming up later on. Adam McCola from Full Time Devils is good joining man. us to talk all about Louis Van Gaal and Manchester United. So we'll save all that good chat for then. I want to talk a little bit 
about Arsenal, Dave. Um, I was watching the game on Monday at the pub. They're looking pretty good, Arsenal. And inevitably now the chat is, they are the title favourites. Are they going to put together a real title challenge? Finally, what were your thoughts on that game and in Arsenal in general? No, it was it was a brilliant game. Um, Mesut Ozil was absolutely you know, exceptional for me. I loved how he was was drifting behind Yaya Torre. He did something quite similar against Manchester United where um, he positioned himself behind Bastian Schweinsteiger. So when those two sort of players are pressing forward, he just picks up those little pockets of space and, and boy, you know, creating both the goals. Obviously, the Theo, Theo Walcott goal did take scoring, but I just love how Ozil moves around. He's a lot stronger as well. You know, I've said this before, he's a lot stronger, but it, there was a moment in the second half where he absolutely waits someone. Someone came over for a shoulder-to-shoulder challenge and he just destroyed him. And it's just really, really good to see that someone that I criticised earlier on in the season, you know, I, I absolutely slammed him saying his form's rubbish and all this, that he's finally turned it around and now he's one of the best players, you know, he's, in the Premier he's League. He's obviously right. listening to you and he's, um, you know, he's turned it around because of that. On current form. On current form, he's one of the best players in the league. Yeah, yeah, on current form. But I think that's my, my criticism was that his form had dropped since mm. the days when he was playing with Ronaldo. That he is basically, you know, his chance conversion, uh, chance creation, sorry, has fallen drastically since those days. But now it's, you know, it's back up there again. So well done to Mezit. Well done, Mezit. Um, Lawrence, yeah. what do you make of Arsenal? Because all of a sudden now it's Arsenal title challenges. But do you think we're going to see the same as always, where around March they start to, to fall apart almost? I do think that other teams have capitulated. I do think to some extent City completely let them into the game and we saw what happened when City did move forward um, in the end when Arsenal were 2-0 up. A, a quite simple, straightforward goal actually for Yaya Torre and one that Arsenal probably oh, shouldn't have conceded. Goal. Yeah, and, and you know, beautiful technique, the kind that maybe... He still got into the position to be able to strike it in such a way and it, I felt that the way that he struck it almost took away from everything else that was going on in the match because the feeling is around City that... You know, they kind of come up with these moments which save them to some extent. And I don't know if, I don't, I don't know, I, I agree with that. But at the same time, I don't know if I therefore agree with some of the strengths. Um, you know, Arsenal uh, played what some people described as a, an understrength team because they didn't have all their big starters, which is a, a huge plus for them. I, I really can't wait to see the other, those other guys come back. Um, it's then also fitting those guys in around the players who have found form in that time, like like Ozil, those kind of guys. Um, you know, what happens when Sanchez comes back, those sorts of things. Um, and w- whether there are going to be other teams that will also hit form at the same time and begin to, uh, again, maybe find Arsenal out or what they do. I, I still think it's a bit of a weird thing that people keep mentioning possession in Arsenal. Mm. I still don't. I still don't consider them to be a possession-based team. I think what they do is they hit people very, very quickly, which is what exactly what they did against City, and then sort of go from there. And sometimes, some just sometimes that doesn't work. Um, and th- th- those times that other teams have managed to negate that this season, you know, they've they've managed to um, they've managed to come away with a result. Maybe the worrying thing for them. Uh, and maybe the one worrying thing for everyone else in the Premier League is Arsenal are sort of ahead now mm. because everyone is so poor. Yes, it's interesting. You know, you're obviously mentioning Meza Ozil there, Dave. Aaron Ramsey as well has been yeah. really good since coming back from injury. Do you think maybe the pieces are starting to fall into place for Arsenal? So not only have they got Meza Ozil probably playing the best football he's played since he joined Arsenal, You've got Aaron Ramsey, again, back at his peak almost. You've got players like Wilshere, uh, you know, Riziki coming back in January. Sanchez as well is going to be back from injury then. Obviously, Pedro Cech, we've talked about before, having a big impact on the club. So do you feel that the, maybe this season the pieces are, are going to fall into place, as Lawrence says, with the other teams underperforming? 
100%. I think they missed out a key man there in Santi Cazorla. His relationship mm. with Cochrane at the start of the season was unbelievable. For me, he was the best central midfielder in the first half of the Premier League, but he's gone out injured. And like you're saying, Ramsey's really come into form again, You know, playing in this central role. I think it really does suit him. I would quite like, when uh, Cazorla comes back, I still quite like him on the right. I like what he gives in a, um, in a defensive uh, aspect, playing on that right, You know, d- doing covering a lot of ground, making tackles, being physical. I like that on the right. You know, it's it's a little bit different to what Man City had on the on their right-hand side in um, De Bruyne. Obviously, a very talented number 10, but then again, played out of position. Uh, for City, again, I just think it's the whole situation where there's too many number 10s and they they can't play these number 10s wide because they don't do enough defensive uh, work with Yaya Torre in the side. You know, Yaya Torre exploded in the last 10 minutes of the game, of the game but what did he do for the first 80? It was mm. pressing at such a lazy way, you know, going towards the ball and dropping back. Obviously, for the goal, they got massively exposed doing that. Just one of those things where Arsenal, they do, like you said, they're, they're picked, everything started to come together. You know, one player goes out. Last season, Arsenal would not have been able to cope with, say, uh, Santi Cazorla being out because Ramsey was also had a bit of an injury problem. But now Ramsey's in and Cazorla's out. So it seems like the, there's a lot of strength there. The only thing I, I would question again is if they have another um, issue with Koscielny or Mertesacker, the two centre-backs, maybe. Or Monreal goes out injured. Are the likes of Kieran Gibbs and Gabriel going to be able to play at the level of the of Koscielny and Monreal at the moment? Because Monreal, again, a player that criticised loads, but he's sort of this season. It just it seems like it's all clicked for him. It's clicked for him in an Arsenal shirt, and I think that's what we're sort of seeing. Everyone's clicking. Someone was saying that today, an Arsenal fan that I was talking to. Um, we we watched, you know, the Thierry Henry analysis that everyone seems to have seen recently of Barcelona when he was talking about how Pep would divide the pitch into two halves. You couldn't go uh, onto the right side if you were playing on the left and vice versa. And then he said, I control everything up to the final third. If you do what I tell you in that bit, then you've got complete freedom in the final third. And he gave examples of, you know, when he scored under Pep, but he scored from the right-hand side and he was supposed to play on the left-hand side. He went back in at half-time and Pep subbed him out. Um, (laughs) And then suddenly an Arsenal fan said, well, we've been sort of playing in a similar way. And to some extent, it is down to the organisation of this Arsenal team and the organisation and discipline. And while we might lament some of the problems Problems and, uh, you know, uh, maybe the lack of perceived quality within the team when people talk about Flamini, those sorts of things. Mm. It, what Wenger has done this season is he has brought an awful lot of um, discipline to the side, more discipline maybe than we'll have seen in recent years with some other Arsenal teams. Um, because I think for a very long time, they, wouldn't, they weren't particularly well disciplined, certainly, you know, in terms of red and yellow cards and committing fouls and offences out on the pitch. I think that they're, you know, it's been difficult for them to try to kind of find that balance because before they didn't rely on it, but they certainly had an element to their game that was still quite rough and they were still allowed to do. But he's almost ironed that bit out, I think. Let's what, move what, on. Just, just quickly, last little point here. What I really like of what Wenger's doing this year in the big games, when he's got a goal, when he's got a lead, he's bringing on defensive players. You know, we've seen Kieran Gibbs come on that left-hand side so Finally. many times. We've seen Callum <laughs> Chambers like came on at central midfield. I like these changes and Wenger again, maybe he's evolving again. Maybe he's realising again, yes, let's get a, let's get two left backs on the pitch. Let's get uh, three centre backs on the pitch uh, to sort of hold the lead. I really like Actually that. Win a game. Does, is, that wor- is that working though? Because the other night, didn't they score when they were sort of in the final part of the game and he just sort of stroked the ball home and you sort of think, well, that's a very nonchalant world class and obviously, you know, the African player of the year again. Yes. But, you know, still they scored in that time. And but then they didn't, sc- they only scored one goal. That's what I, like, okay, they, you know, like you just said, then Yaya Torre banged in an absolute brilliant goal. But they, it just felt like the last four minutes of that game felt like Arsenal were going to win. Did you have that sort of same feeling where, you know, um, Giroud was going, you know, winning the ball down the line and so yeah. forth? And 
it just felt like Arsenal were going to win the game with, with four to go. It's just, to me, it just feels feels a bit different. That's Arsonal it. feels mentality. very different. Yeah. It's that mentality, isn't it? Um, it's, it's certainly different than Spurs <laughs> mentality, mate. Let's, certainly different than those weak cocks. Let's talk about Everton. <laughs> yeah, because all right. Yeah, an American-led consortium is yeah, hoping to complete the takeover of Everton within the next six weeks. Finally. Um, apparently, they've agreed uh, a deal which could be worth about £200 million pounds and brings an end to a decade-long search for, for investment. A, a decade-long search to the right investment. Yeah. So what do you make of this? Fantastic. Heard Absolutely fantastic. For the city of Liverpool... Uh, sorry, you've heard suggestions of what? No, no, carry on. I'm, I'm, you've launched into exactly what I wanted you to talk about. You've fallen perfectly into my trap, Lawrence. <laughs> uh, <Continue>. I, <laughs> what I'm happy is that Everton have finally found some investment. Um, I, I don't know enough about the background of the consortium. I've been waiting for a very long time for Everton to get investment. Um, and uh, it's something the clubs in, it needed so incredibly because you know for years they've not they've said they've not been able to keep up with other people, right. uh, not not least their noisy neighbours, uh, Liverpool just across Stanley Park. And now it would seem that uh, for a while the club was almost in a sort of I know I know it's a weird way to describe a club that managed to finish fourth at one point and those kind of things, but in a weird sort of purgatory because they consider themselves and they are an institution and they have been for some time. You know, they, they I think they were called like the, the the football science club at one point in the sixties and seventies, and you know they sort of refined the art of looking into football and trying to work out how to win a match and. Uh, then it just so happened that everything sort of became commercialised and they never caught up. And essentially Liverpool was left behind at that point because it wasn't seen as a good investment at one point. And then it came back because of what, you know, the, the world economy, those kind of things. And for a while, interest went away when, you know, people were looking at other clubs. And I find it very unusual that other clubs were bought ahead of Everton. But then you sort of think the good thing that Everton have done, they've managed to keep up with everyone else, but at the same time, look for what they believe to be the right investor. Because I think a lot of people have sold very quickly and sort of brought inexperienced people in. And other people, um, such as Everton, have not done that. And you'd say that uh, Ken... It's not Ken Bates, it's Ken... Uh, Ken Bill Cameron. Bill, Bill Cameron. Cameron, sorry. Bill, Bill, Bill Cameron. <laughs> uh, Bill Gates. Uh, sorry, Bill Cameron. It's Everton, does he? Blimey. Bill Cameron, uh, yeah, I think he does, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Same, close <laughs> enough. Bill Cameron, Bill Gates, yeah, yeah, fine. Uh, Bill, uh, Bill Cameron, yes. uh, and the chairman of uh, Everton Football Club has. I just wanted to check that because I was worried for a minute that I was wrong. <laughs> I, I, I am right. Um, Bill Cameron uh, has done a good job, I think, of steering the club in many correct directions. Mm. I do think it's going to bring a lot of the aspects of the club which maybe in the past were allowed to slack. Uh, into and some intense scrutiny, uh, and that includes obviously the man at the top of the uh, management mm. chain as well, Martinez. Do you think Dave, this is going to help take Everton to that next level? We sort of launch a touch on there because this might mean they don't have to sell the likes of Ross Barkley, John Stones, Romelu Lukaku, and there has been a sense Everton that this team sort of almost you know in in stasis the last couple of years where they can't quite get to that next level. I think it'd be absolutely perfect. You know, uh, uh, Roberto Mon Montini. <laughs> Sorry, <lads. laughs> it's a long Are day. You all right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roberto Martinez. First off, Martinez. <laughs> our, our podcast is like the font of all knowledge. Sorry, Bill Gates owns actually Everton. Cut this bit out. Roberto Mantini is uh, <laughs> 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 right. No, Dave. We'll let, go again. 
Roberto <laughs> Martinez, go. Roberto Martinez. Roberto Martinez, yeah. Roberto Martinez is a, is a wonderful young manager, um, obviously getting the best out of these players at the moment, you know, giving Barkley and Lukaku the freedom. It's just nice to see the, they play very vibrant football, very attractive football, and it's good to see that hopefully they can keep Martinez for, for a while and they can keep these young players, and then we can sort of see Everton become another powerhouse of, of English football, but then the top six are going to be unbelievable, right? If Everton start getting investment, <laughs> Liverpool are going to be in there, Tottenham are yeah. going to be in there. You've got the you know United, Chelsea, City and Arsenal. So it's just great for the Premier League, right? It's, it's just good. It's, it's progression. Let's Moving go. forward. I don't know about that. I think, I think it's going to be, yeah, the disruption will be a good thing for Everton. Is it going to be a good thing for the Premier League who yet again have someone else who's going to be competing even more? <laughs> Let's go to Spain. I want to All talk right. about... Oh, okay. <laughs> Rafael Benitez, Lawrence, apparently he's on borrowed time and he may get the sack before the club's next game at home to Real Sociedad on the 30th of December, despite the fact that Real Madrid just won 10-2 against Rayo Vallecano. Um, There has been these reports of unrest in the dressing room, basically the players uh, are a big fan of Benitez. So, I mean, it's not none of. I d- there are definitely some players there that are fans of Benitez. The key players are not a fan of Benitez. Maybe the most vocal ones, you'd say. Um, but I mean, what do you make of this? Surely this just plays into what everyone thinks about Real Madrid. This unmanageable. It doesn't matter what you, you do. Yeah, uh, short-termism in, in favour of, uh, you know, over the long-term gain of the club, I think. Uh, Rafa Benitez is, was clearly always going to be a long-term thing. He's not a uh, Pep, or a, um, even though with his first season at Liverpool he did win the Champions League, um, he's not a Pep or a Mourinho. Mm. There's a lot of demands that he comes with, and uh, you know, to some extent, I think he is. He's not highly strung, but he certainly requires a lot of um, things to be done his way. And I think, to some extent, the Galactico model maybe is going to struggle to fit in with Benitez, but at the same time, maybe they wanted to make the Galactico, they wanted to make sure the Galactico model was stuck to, because at one point it was a, a model which people respected. It doesn't seem to be one that people respect anymore. And that's, but I don't think Benitez is responsible for that. So if he yeah, did, yeah, though, exactly. I think it would be a mistake on uh, Real Madrid's part, especially if then they go on to uh, bring through Zidane. I mean, I can't comment on <sighs> manager, but I, I definitely feel like, um, you could bring someone in who's maybe more experienced. We might be looking at another Pep Guardiola here, but no one seems to be speaking about Zidane in a Pep Guardiola-esque way. Dave, do you think, as Lawrence is saying there, it is unfair because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've lost three games in all competitions this season. I mean, has he, has he just simply lost the dressing room and there's no way to bring that back now? I think that's that's what it feels like. It feels like the whole you know Mourinho at Chelsea situation all over again, where the players just don't respect him, which is very very unfair for a, a manager of Rafa Benitez's quality. You know, you look at his record of what he's won. He's won absolutely everything. He's won a lot of trophies um, in the in world football. It's just one of those things where it, you know it seemed before it even got there that the players were mocking him. They, I don't know. It's just like Lauren said. It's the Galactico. Um, this is sort of the whole Galactico. The problem's bigger strategy, than the manager. Just break it, yeah, just breaking in a um, way. And it, again, going back to Man United, if the club goes that way and they keep signing up these big players and they go manager to manager, it's going to be the same thing. Do you know what I love? The other night they did the, the you know, the, the whole manager, uh, Hemez basically got furious because, uh, you know, Real Madrid had beaten his club 10 too. And I mean, I kind of see that logic. But apparently, if you go anything above five goals in football, apparently in Spain, it's seen as disrespectful. Now, 
I, I don't think Benitez. It's really you know, doubly disrespectful, Vasco I mean, to some <laughs> extent, yeah. But then, uh, I, I, apparently, a lot of people were saying it's almost a dead result. It doesn't mean anything because they beat them by so much, and at the same time, the team capitulated. They almost didn't really care because they were sort of like, right, fine, off you go. Then, if you're going to do this, then you know, go for it. And I, d- I mean, I, I feel like if Benitez hadn't struck, people would be saying naive, should have gone for the jugular. Why did they only stop at five? They should have got. You should be getting more against. You can't nine. win at Real Madrid. It's, it doesn't matter what I you do. I don't think you can because I think there's a. I think there are. There, you know, that's the problem. Is articles are written post game. Um, well, you know, we should be made to write summary articles pre-match. Yes, of course. That makes <laughs> perfect sense. What do you think about Mourinho? Maybe the, the rumours are. We'll come on to Mourinho yeah. Manchester United later, but talk that he's going to go back to, to Real Madrid if Benitez goes. Fantastic. Oh, Brilliant. He, well, it, Ended horribly last time. Why would he? Why would yeah. he want to go back? Let alone the club take him back. Set um, some scores straight. Set some scores straight. <laughs> um, other teams I want to talk a little bit about. I want to talk a little bit about Watford, Dave. The boys. Um, Watford obviously at the weekend um, being Liverpool. We won't talk about that too much because we don't want to you know, uh, make it too painful for Lawrence. But I'm all right, mate. They have won four games in a row now. They beat Aston Villa, they beat Norwich, uh, Sunderland, and now Liverpool. They're seventh in the table, one point behind Palace, uh, who are on 28 points in ninth, and one point behind United, who are fifth. Now, I feel like they've sort of almost come out of nowhere, Watford, to get that high in the table. I mean, what, what would you credit their incredible success to? Because this is a team I said... <laughs> They're getting straight back down. I think I wasn't alone in saying that. Well, that's, I think that was a fair assumption at the start of the season, considering they just brought in a brand new manager. Um, they did all right in the championship, but the Premier League's a different story. But I see Watford as the reincarnation of Diego Simeone's um, Atletico Madrid in the Premier League, where they play a 4-4-2. They play two um, central midfielders out wide. So on both flanks, they have more you know central-orientated players. And they work really hard. And they've got two strikers at the moment that, just a terrorising defenders. You know, Troy Deeney at the moment for me is just on fire. He's terrorised Lucas. He's got such ability on the ball. It's something that's underrated. He's a big English striker. But it, for me, he doesn't actually play like a big English striker. He plays like a really technically gifted continental striker where he's finessing the ball with passes. He's caressing it to Agarlo. And then Agarlo's obviously you've got the physicality and Deeney, the pressing, the organisation. Agarlo at the moment is bang in form. 12 goals in the Premier League. He is just on fire right now. Or at 13 now, I think it's actually 13. He is but smashing it. It's just, it's just nice to see. It's nice to see a team that's for, that potentially is playing a classic English style, a 4-4-2, but they're actually playing a very continental 4-4-2. How, it, how the 4-4-2 has evolved in the game. You know, you'd say Leicester's quite similar. They play, both play on the counter-attack in a way, but I like Watford's 4-4-2 a little bit more. I think it's got more legs. It's interesting to see, obviously, Leicester at the top of the table have been absolutely incredible. I was saying here, Watford in seventh. Bournemouth in the last few weeks have really... Uh, hit form. I think they've got, is it three wins in a row now? I think they've got against yeah, United and Chelsea with two of those teams. Um, but yeah, to see these teams who you probably pair out as relegation favourites to all of a sudden have, I won't say thrive yet, but to be doing so well, it's incredible. The thing with Bournemouth, I think as well, one of the stats that sort of comes up for me is that they've covered more distance than any other team in the Premier League. And as we do know in the world of football, if you outrun your opponent, you will, you know, you, you've got a bigger chance to beat them in a way. Like United, they did them with set pieces, fair enough. Um, I think they played a little bit better in the next game in terms of sort of commanding the ball and so forth. But it's, for me, it's just good. It's, it's a good you know, young manager again in the Premier League. 
I, I still don't think they've got what it takes to stay up. I just don't think they've got the quality in their squad. So still think, yeah, still think they're going to go down. But wow. it's just nice to see. Uh, it's, it's a good style of play in a way they want to keep the ball. That sermon's been decent. You know, Wilson, they'd have a better chance. If Wilson was fit for the whole season, I'd, I'd give him a, a massive, a bigger chance of staying up. But with, with him being injured, players coming in, I just don't think they've got it. Uh, Lawrence, do you think Bournemouth are going to stay uh, no, I agree with Dave. I think the, the problem for them has been injuries and the right the right people just not being fit at the right time. Okay, there you have it. Um, we should also probably mention a bit of Barcelona. They won uh, the Club World Cup on Sunday. Uh, is that an important trophy, Lawrence? I, I mean, it's certainly a political trophy, isn't it? Mm. Uh, no, I think it's much more of a spectacle for growing the game around the world. Works really well in that sense. Uh, it works you know, well to say you've won five trophies in a year as well. I mean, it looks pretty impressive. Exactly. Although, you know, again, I think people are always going to put perspective on those. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they they did beat River Plate. Um, you know, obviously they're there competing against other people of very high high quality, but I still don't think it means because uh, you're the same amount as something else. It's almost I don't know I don't know what to compare it to. It's like a it's a bit oh, like the Audi Lawrence. It's like the Audi Cup. Yeah, but it's like the Audi Cup. Yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from. It's sort of like a trophy. It'd be nice to play like at the end of the season after Barcelona maybe won the Champions League, like the next thing. But then obviously the issue with that is that all the leagues are running at different times and so forth. And this is probably the only time they can play it. But it's still, you know, it's a a good thing. It's respected. Talking of FIFA and politics, we should probably also mention the fact that Seth Blatter and Michelle Platini have both been banned yeah. uh, by the FIFA Ethics Committee. Essentially uh, until they both sort of get too old to do it. I believe, <laughs> I believe it's uh, is it, is eight years they've been banned today. for. What? They've both been banned for eight years. I'm right in saying that, aren't I? It looks that way, um, yes. Uh, I, I love the thing that uh, the Football Republic put out the other day, which was uh, the, the quote by Sepp Blatter when he was talking about it. he says my, grandparent, my grandparents said a clock rings ding and dong not ding 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 you have to listen to ding and to dong I feel like it's about to put his penis in a mouth and for now I only I hear ding I will I mean, go there and I will listen to dong do you think dong is like one of the uh, one of the representatives from another country and we're just overlooking it some of the things he was coming out with he was sort of saying uh, in his speech he said uh, to say this is a good day for me or for FIFA would be totally wrong. He, he, he name-checked Nelson Mandela for some reason, which was uh, <laughs> bizarre enough. But then he said, let us say that I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that somewhere I am still a punching ball. I'm sorry that as president of FIFA, I am this punching ball. I'm sorry for football, is what he said when he got his ban. It's just like, is, I can't it's- believe how deluded he is. Well, it's sort of a power, yeah. Like it's sort of well, a power I can, thing. Actually, I can, I can it's, it sort of comes down to like the sociology of it, and it, this man's just in—he's in denial, and you—you you almost feel a bit sorry for him as a character because I mean, you, you don't because he's—he's been in power yeah, for such a long sorry. time. <laughs> but you almost think you almost think if, if he'd have just if he'd have just sort of taken his leave, mm. you know, in so in in every sport this happens. Look at Lance Armstrong. Why did he get found out? Because he wanted to come back, and he put so many people's noise, noses out of joint. He you almost feel he like quit while he was ahead. Pop- Greed is greed. I mean, greed is common, isn't it, in the world? It's you know, we sort of see it everywhere, it's and it, uh, FIFA definitely proves that. He said, "I'm suspended for eight years for what? What he's actually been officially uh, banned for um, was that he 
he failed to explain the payment of two million Swiss francs, which is about one point three million pounds, uh, to Michel Platini. They said they had a, a verbal agreement, which is not uh, illegal under Swiss law. But they said they had a verbal agreement. He yeah, was paying but, uh, Michel but Platini that, uh, yeah, for work. But that expires. That expires. That, that agreement. A verbal agreement can expire after a number of years. I'm not excusing him. Allegedly. I'm just explaining why he, uh, <laughs> they got in trouble. So it was this one million pound for for work done by Michel Platini. Uh, under Blatter, the sum was paid. <laughs> he, uh, he fixed up my laptop a few years ago. He installed uh, it. looked incredibly dodgy when the sum uh, was paid <laughs> ten years later, just before uh, the elections, the FIFA elections, uh, and the fact that they, ne- they, they oh the fact God. they never bothered to put it in any oh sort God, of contract. It? it was all just verbal. And they were like, "Yeah, yeah it's morning, fine." You know, morning, mate. Just wondering, did you did you get that payment? Which one? The one from 10 years ago. Now, it's just with the elections coming up, I just want to sort everything uh, out. Um, should we do that now? <laughs> oh, no, it's all right, mate. It's only a million. No, it's probably best not to do it now because there's going to be so much scrutiny on us. He, no, he, no, it's all right. I'll pay it now. <laughs> no, that would be a bit stupid, Seth. No, yeah. no, come on. Oh, give me your bank account details. Come, all right, then. Come over here. He says, yeah, it was, a, it was an oral contract or a gentleman's agreement is how he, uh, how he phrased it. Uh, the agreement was made in 1998 uh, after the World Cup where Mr. Platini said he would like to work one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For FIFA, I said it was wonderful. He said he wanted a million Swiss francs. I said, okay, we'll pay you part now, part later. He said, what astonishes me now about the decision from FIFA is that they deny the, exi- the existence of such an agreement. It's almost as if he should have put it on paper or something like that. I mean, it just would have made sense. Um, even, even then, even then, even then it's dusty enough. But the fact is, like, yeah, it's yeah. a verbal agreement. No one else knows about it. It's not recorded anywhere in any official documentation. I just said it to him at some point that we're going to pay him a million for it's Absolutely. just so barefaced and just the matter of fact nature with which he delivers it. So he said he, he wants is, a million yeah. francs. So I said, all right. Yeah. And you're sort of like, hey, just <laughs> what are you on about? I just, I think it's fascinating how deluded Seth Blatter has become. Like he, I, I think he genuinely believes that he is, he, he's done nothing wrong. I just think he's so far gone that he can't see. <laughs> it's a bit like you know you know uh have you ever seen the movie hot fuzz where they always keep on saying oh it's for the greater good yeah and the guys have to kind of they sort of go yeah what's the greater good and they go don't question it just do the greater good and you sort of feel like down the years he's kind of bastard that and fifa you know through through bureaucracy which is something that everyone you know like a low level sociology degree knows about Mm. sort of numbs people towards it and it sort of creates an overall culture and unfortunately, he's sort of done that for 40 years. So. Final bit of news to finish on is Pep Guardiola made it official that he's leaving Bayern Munich at the end of the season. Carlo Ancelotti is officially coming in. Looks like he's going to Manchester City, Dave. I assume you'll be crying on Christmas morning into your presence or something. I think I, think I will be if that happens. 
He's the, he's the best manager in the world. Because Pep Guardiola's not coming. He's gone to City, Mum. All I can say is um, uh, Guardiola's <laughs> going to be at City next season. Mourinho's going to be at Man United. Pure exactly, that's office, the only mate. thing. If, if, Mourinho, if, if, if that happens, that's got to happen, right? You know, Guardiola does go City. United have got to do it. You've got to have the, the rivalry back again. That'd be so good. Right, that and brings... And then Klopp wins the league. Well, we'll see about that. Right, now we've got to move on to the talking point. Adam McCoy from Full Time Devils is going to join us to talk about Louis Van Howe and Manchester United and all the stuff going on at Old Trafford. I'm going to introduce Adam again because Dave wasn't there, but he was there, if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, right, Adam McCullough for Full Down Devils, welcome. I've uh, got myself here, Dave here, Lawrence here. I want to talk to you about Louis Van Gaal, Manchester United. Adam McCullough from Full Time Devils. Adam, thanks for joining us. No problem, thanks for having me. We're obviously here to talk about Manchester United, uh, all the, the, the rumours sort of blowing up in the last week or so concerning Louis Van Gaal. Uh, today he sort of stormed out of his press conference. Uh, what did you What did you make of that? Um, I don't think he stormed out quite as much. I think it was more. Everyone said he had a rant and stormed out. I've watched it. He was very calm and calculated in what he said. Um, showed a bit of fire in his belly. Had a go at the press. Now I think the criticism for the football has been spot on. He deserves the criticism for football. Any manager that's at a club such as Manchester United and we go on the run that we have done will be questioned. But I think some of the stories that have come out about him quitting, about him being sacked already, meetings, this, that and the other, and the other stuff that's come out and even some of the fans that have like completely turned, like I know a lot of it is just on social media, but a lot of it has been like abusive and stuff and you think things haven't worked out Mm. He's maybe taken Manchester United as far as he can. He's done an okay job. Um, he's stabilised us after the, the shit that was David Moyes' season. Um, and I think he deserves a little bit more respect, but he does deserve criticism. And I think, fair enough, what he did was good. He showed a bit of fire in his belly. And the main thing that to come out of it for me was that he said, at Carrington, he still felt... He gave a Christmas speech or something at the Christmas meal, and he felt... He felt warmth and the love of, of, of the people around him. So if that's true, and as long as that's the case, then I believe we should stick by him. If he's still got the players battling for him, we should stick by him. But if he's lost the, the dressing room, then you do worry and you think it's maybe just a matter of time. Does it all seem a little bit strange to you, Adam? I mean, it seems a little bit weird to me. I think, you know, the press have obviously got a role to play. And yeah. uh, in recent years, that's been blurred because of the beginning of people like us so sort of people who uh, not everyone in our profession is professionally trained you know not everyone um, knows sort of the, the etiquette or the rules of journalism and I'm not saying that's a problem because sometimes it's good to break those yeah sometimes the lines get so muddied between being respectful and uh, you know people wanting to get clicks and saying was, all those kind of things that it, it ends of, up it ends anyone. up like it was last night on Twitter. All these rumors started swirling, wasn't it? Like you're saying, it yeah, wasn't. That was bother- yeah, that was. That was it wasn't journalists necessarily. That, that was- it was just out of nowhere. Well, it's ITK. Was- it's people who claim yeah, to be ITKs yeah, yeah. or those sort of, and in, in, those people who are in the know. And ultimately, those people were just duped by Trevor Sinclair leaving his phone open at a party yeah, and someone tweeting just- something. But then you, you say people like I know we have fan reactions after games and things like that, where some people will go over the top. Um, yeah, but that's, di- that's different, though, Adam. No, 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 I think you're giving it, you're you, have everything. The you have 
But you have everything. You have a lot of fans online now that have a voice and can use it for good or bad. And I think it's important no matter what your opinion is, you stay respectful. But I think in terms of knowing the professionalism of journalism, I think a lot of professional journalists are as guilty as anybody else as well. And I think, yes, some of the stories may have did 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 start online on Twitter, but some of the stories mm. over the season and over the time do start from the press as well. So well, I think, but that that is kind of what I'm saying is that I'm not. Oh, I'm not sorry. Really saying I'm not really saying it's the bloggers. I'm saying it has become a little bit blurred for journalists. Mm. It's become a little. Oh bit yes, yeah, 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 of course, and I agree. Then with the problem, the problem there is that the people that should be held to account are the people who are not held to account. And because Van Gaal is the most obvious target, a lot of people sort of go after him because, A, you know, if he's trending on Twitter, then that's easy. And it's easier than getting the, the hashtag um, United board out going. Do you know what I mean? So instead of doing the actual evaluation and doing the research and, you know, looking into maybe where the institution of Manchester United has suffered, you know, a, and like you say, a great family institution where a lot of people are going to feel warmth when they go there. Me, um... Instead... They they have this problem where where no one seems to do the investigation. They just blame the first guy they see. Let me ask you then, Adam. You're sort of touching on there about your sort of opinion on Van Gaal, and you're sort of saying maybe he's taken the club as far as he can go. What seems to be the general Man United fan perception from from what you can see of the manager at the moment? I mean, at, at the games. So in the stadium the other day when we went two 0 down against Norwich, the the, the fans grew in their support of the team but at the whistle there was obviously some signs of discontent and a few boos and stuff um, after the game I think we saw a bigger turn in people saying Louis van Gaal needs to go now after the mm. the Norwich defeat because I think you can go to Bournemouth with an injury hit side and lose you can go to Wolfsburg with an injury hit side and lose it's the home games that have been letting us down more than anything. And I think the style of play is frustrating people as well. I mean, imagine if the style of play was better and instead of losing 2-1 at home against Norwich after having six shots on target in about five games, which is absolutely woeful, by the way. Imagine we were attacking teams and we were, we were losing games 5-4. I don't think Louis van Gaal would be under as much pressure. Mm. It's because the fans are so bored with the football at the moment as well that it's adding this extra thing that not only is it boring, the results are suffering now yeah. and something needs to change. And as I said before, and I keep saying it, if against Norwich, for me, it felt very noisy. And like, as much as I wanted, I want Louis van Gaal to succeed, you kind of get the feeling that he may have pissed off too many players. Um, yeah. or well, like a lot of players are just... Like we've got so many players like Mata, Martial, like mm. Memphis. Them guys can only flourish if you allow them to take chances, take risks, do things off the cuff. And you know, I think he needs to just loosen up to them a little bit. But like great managers, Wenger, Fergie, Mourinho, he's a, he's a stubborn old sudden. You're talking about pissed uh, <laughs> off players there. It looked like uh, Ryan Giggs was doing all he could to sort of distance himself from Louis van Gaal. I mean, what did you make of that? Him sort of going down onto the sidelines for 20 minutes or so? Because people have made a big deal out of this sort of saying, you know, read into it what you will. Um, I loved Louis van Gaal in the summer and when I've seen him in the past and he's on the sideline, I know what he says, the players should be able to resolve things for themselves. And I think fans like to see visible um, pattern from from managers, but yeah, it's, it's like 
Berbatov, people used to talk about Berbatov, oh, he mm. doesn't run around, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to win a match. It's just, that's his style. Like, mm. maybe he, maybe inside he really is pissed off and he wants to go mad, but that's just not his style. And I do think, you think Giggs was trying to, to... I don't know. Whatever with Giggsy, yeah. Giggsy, Giggs being the next Manchester United manager is a big no-no for me. Yeah, um, really, it's the rewards are huge. You know, if Giggs turns out to be like a Pep Guardiola and smashes it, it's going to be amazing. But look how big the risks are at the moment. Manchester United have had the David Moyes era after Sir Alex Ferguson, had the Louis Van Gaal era now, where it's looking like it may not end in silverware, most likely, unless there's a massive turnaround. And although he's taken us. He's got us playing better. He's got us in a better mm. position. There's no time for Manchester United to be taking risks now. And I think that's why the, this sudden clamour for Jose Mourinho's come up. <laughs> Two, three years ago, I'm still sticking to my guns, by the way. I do not want Jose Mourinho, mm. but I can understand why people are saying it. Two, three years ago, 90% of the fan base, well, I'm guessing, but a lot of the fan base would never have wanted Jose Mourinho near our club. He just... He would ha we would have to change the whole ethos of our club mm. to accommodate Jose Mourinho. And I think it shows you how much frustration and just there is amongst the Manchester United fan base at the moment that there's a lot of people actually considering Jose Mourinho. As <laughs> That's what it's come to. But Dave, yeah, like, Dave, would you agree with that? Because it does seem like Jose Mourinho wouldn't... I mean, you know, Adam's talking there about how the boring football is frustrating United yeah. fans. Is, is Jose Mourinho the man to bring fast place attacking football to Old Trafford? You wouldn't say well, so, would you? His Real Madrid team scored um, a record amount of goals in the Liga uh, before the Barca team smashed that record. But for me, it's, it seems like if we were getting Mourinho, we should have got Mourinho after Ferguson. Would have been the perfect man to move it on. But my, my issue is that United, you know, we did play wonderful football under Ferguson, but then we did have games where we did, you know, sort of struggle through and win 1-0. You know, we all know that type of thing. But for me, it feels like Ferguson had a great philosophy and Ferguson played attacking football. Manchester United as an institution sort of relies too much on Ferguson's philosophy and stuff and they need Manchester United need their own identity right now and I think that's where we're seeing them struggling away the club is so behind the, the rest of you know looking at Man City what they've built the thing that I was thinking about today was you know the United's Twitter account that was set up you know a year and a half ago that was so far behind every other sort of like big club it feels like as Man United it's a little bit like cocky and we don't want to change we don't want to try something new we don't want to go down a path it seems like the path we're supposed to find ourselves and I think as a football club we need to react to that and start pushing forward well, I heard an interesting sort of uh, theory today that's based on Manchester United is a little bit old-fashioned you know they, they Ferguson was there for so long that like you're saying they're not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well the club is a little bit behind the times and there was a suggestion that in getting Louis van Gaal they're, they're even further behind the times because there's a manager whose peak was you know not within the last five ten years you'd argue um, I mean Adam I'm assuming you're not in favour of getting rid of Louis van Gaal now that's what that's where the argument for more time for Louis van Gaal comes into it that Manchester United have been been we've been lucky to have Sir Alex Ferguson for so long covering up for Obviously, what the Glazers were doing at the time, and mm. uh, I know we spend. I know there's been players where we've spent a lot of money in the past. I know we spent 30 million Rooney, 30 million Rio, but at the time when Chelsea and Manchester City started to build and started to become dominant, we were falling behind those teams then. Um, and I think now we spent a lot of money. Yes, granted, we have spent a lot of money, 
I think investment was needed. I think it'd be wrong. Uh, this is why I'm scared of Jose Mourinho coming in. Like, because Ed Woodward wants to make Manchester United. And I think Ed Woodward needs to take a lot of account as well for the yeah. for the failure in transfer windows over the last couple of years. Um, pandering to Jorge Mendes and trying to get big names in. I know Manchester United make superstars. And I know it's easy to just keep going back to your traditions and back to your traditions. But we yes, we spend a lot of money, but we very rarely spend... Like when we bought Wayne Rooney, he wasn't a world-class player. He wasn't already a superstar. When we... When we bought Cristiano Ronaldo, he wasn't already the finished article. And I think Manchester United are better off going that way again than trying to be these Galacticos. We we bought that, we got Falcao, we got Di Maria. It just didn't work for us. Um, and we've tr- we've tried that in the past as well with, with Seba Varane and things like that. And I don't think that's the way for Manchester United to go. I think we need to hold on to some of our values. Yes, we do need to catch up with other teams as well. Mm. But it's important to hold on to values and that's what scares me about Jose Mourinho I, I don't want I've had as a Manchester United fan over the last I've been so lucky in my lifetime has been basically the Sir Alex Ferguson era and I've seen so much success why do we need to go for someone like Jose Mourinho for one or two titles when the likelihood is in two or three years time we'll be in a shit position it'll be all about Jose Mourinho we'll be falling out with everybody and no youth players would have been used. Mm. I think I, I read a stat today on a, on a Manchester United blog where in his last, in his whole Chelsea career, he's only given six hours of football to academy players. Like, that is astonishing. That's even, it's that, even more that's crazy considering how, how well they've done as well recently in, in you know, winning the Europa um, Youth League. You know, it's, it's incredible. Mm, exactly. Their, their, their youth teams do very, very well. Mm. Not only at a European level, but at a domestic level as well. FAU cups, under-21 leagues, finals here and there. And still we don't see players. And some of their young players end up on 30, 40k a week. And they don't even get in the first team. <laughs> it's like, what, what what, does he have? We need to hold on to something. And I think letting go of, well, bringing in Jose Mourinho, let's, mm. let's go of a lot of that. So if you're, you're, you're sort of sticking up for, for Louis van Gaal here at the moment, if... If you know, is it Stoke away next? I think which is Stoke away is classic. Gonna, it would classic. be difficult in form. It would be yeah. difficult in form, and the fact we're out of form. Like, mm. don't get it twisted. The fact I'm saying I don't want Jose Mourinho, <laughs> it doesn't mean that the sun shines out of Louis Van Gaal's ass. And I think he's the best thing for Manchester United. I think he won't be here beyond the end of next this season. Interesting. Um, but, His contract expires at the end of next season, right? Yeah. I, right. Unless something changes massively, I can't see him being here that long. What would you like to see happen next summer then? I, I assume in an ideal world it would be Pep Guardiola, but he looks like he's going to Manchester City. Pep or Carlo for me. Um, but With, it's, yeah, if Pep's it's going, going to be Giggs or Jose, and if I had to choose between them two, as much as I'd like to say Ryan Giggs, I would have to say Jose Mourinho because he'd keep us competitive. I, the worry with Giggs is, imagine six months down the line and you're saying... Lads, um, I think we should sack Ryan Giggs. Like, <laughs> what? Like, what the hell? Like, would you rather? So, would you rather see, say, Mourinho comes in this summer? He maybe is is that short term option. You do have success for a year or two. Van, uh, Giggs, he goes out maybe 
tries to to find his own way at another club, gets some actual hands-on experience, and then no, comes I think Giggsy sticks around. I if Giggs goes out, do you think he's goes. not coming back? What, yeah. No, what, what I'm saying is, what's the, what we often see with Mourinho is people learn a lot from Mourinho. Under the, and their time under Mourinho is invaluable. Mm. And a lot of managers learn a lot. I mean, because, look at Brendan Rodgers, look at AVB. I'm, and and I, know that, I know we mock both of those people as figures in England, but actually yeah. they're both very, very accomplished coaches. I like and, AVB. Um, and, yeah, and, and you know, not only that, but I think you know, there are certain things that Brendan Rodgers did uh, which you definitely count as positive and hugely influenced by Mourinho. So maybe, you know, it, it's not just that it's not just one, one side. You could also say that United, because of what they've had in the past, may be able to get a different kind of Mourinho out because Mourinho respects the institution that's always there. And what yeah. I think the problem with Chelsea was is actually that Mourinho didn't particularly respect the institution of Chelsea. He respected the fans, he res- he re- and what he wanted to do was get results for them, and so he did his job, essentially. But he, he has a real problem with institutions, didn't like the hierarchy at Real Madrid, didn't like the hierarchy into Milan. And people mistake that for a... And, and, and also, he didn't like the hierarchy in the press. And people mistake that for a contempt or an arrogance sometimes, and sometimes it is arrogant. But I, I, I honestly think the reason United would be a good mix with Mourinho is because I think he'd look at United and he'd see exactly what Adam just described and go into the club with a different approach to the way that that's, he's approached other things. I remember that we had the... I, I used to wind Chelsea fans up with this and say, remember when he didn't get the jab, the United jab, and he was supposedly <laughs> crying about it and stuff. And you hear that how much he's wanted this job for a, he supposedly wanted the job for a long time and he wanted to follow Sir Alex Ferguson. And that's the flip side to it. The positives with Jose Mourinho is he's a winner. He's a bastard. He'll make, he'll make Manchester United hated again. He'll make us feared again. And he may, he may change for Manchester United. We don't know that. Like, I, want, I, I wanted David Moyes in, so what do I know? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so what do I know but well, Jose Mourinho, That's what I just like. fear for him at, I just fear that we would come become a bit of a circus and that's not but I do agree with, with Lars in the sense that on the flip side he could actually this mm. could be the one that he's always wanted and he could eventually settle down what? but LBG's the manager we got to support him what would yeah, see? absolutely. Yeah, and, and maybe that's the point there is that you know, you, if you you aren't saying Louvangal's the the ultimate future, but you are saying as an institution, as the club that you are, you should stand behind him because, well, that's that's essentially the, the part of the Manchester United way that you're talking about. Well, his style of football isn't the Manchester United. <laughs> no, but standing standing by someone and standing by your decision. Yeah, yeah. We, Although then you could, could you could also say that on a form. Do you know what I mean? It could be yeah. in a you month's could, time. We could be just a point off the top spot again and we could have won our last four or five games. Could, That's how... Do you say the opposite, though, as well, Adam, about, about yes. it? In the past, that, uh, you know, Sir Alex has actually not... Uh, he's cut short shrift with people who haven't performed. And, you know, anyone who uh, took the, was basically in contempt of the club was a big problem. But so far, Louis Mangal hasn't really been in contempt of the club. He's been in contempt of other people, but not necessarily ever said, well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about to the fans. He's sort of... Uh, if anything, he's sort of said, look, just trust me on this. He's never really sort of tried to insult anyone within the club. Mm, um, well, I don't think he's been helped by everybody. I mean, what came out yesterday, was that a briefing by the by Ed Woodward? What, that, I, thought, I thought that was totally unfair that 
he had to come out today and meet amongst all this this pressure and these rumours. I know a lot of them are just social media based and it's stupid for the club to continually come out every time rumours circulate. But him coming out today in his press conference, I thought I felt a little bit sorry for him. Like yeah. you've had all these these rumours. Most people didn't expect you to be here today and now you're coming out in front of the press. That's why I did I wasn't surprised by his reaction today. But I do agree with you. Whilst and whilst Louis Van Hart does hold values which are good for Manchester United, at the same time he's playing young players. You could say we've got no choice because the squad's thin. Um, is that his fault? There's been a lack of investment over the years. But then at the same time, in the summer, why were we chasing for Sergio Ramos when we could have signed another centre half? Um so, like, there's, it's, it's not black and white at the moment. And that's why I'm so torn over it. Um, and that's why part of me says he needs time. He deserves to be given time. Mm. And the other part of me thinks if he's lost the players, then he has to go. And I, I think it's just a big split. I think that's, I don't know, man. <laughs> so what, what we can, like, another thing that we can pull from the, the whole explosion in the press conference in a way is he's just taken all the pressure off the players, right? Everything is now on Louis Van Aal. He's just completely taken the pressure off the players' back to, to, to sort of win this game. But that's, uh, do, you, do you think it's just like, a, it's actually a tactic that he's gone in today and he said, right, I'm going to react today. I'm going to give them something yeah, to talk about that's not on my players' back, that's not talking about Memphis Depay, not... It, seemed more, as well it seemed, did seem more emotional than that, though. It seemed less... I think it was genuine. Hmm. I think he was genuinely hurt. So he started talking about his family and stuff. You yeah, know. like, we, I, it's, it's never been about the players. I think people have more or less made the excuse for the players that it's Louis van Gaal holding them back. Yeah, I get criticised for saying Wayne Rooney's been playing poor. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, By who? <laughs> that, says, that says a lot that Louis van Gaal is getting all, most, most if not all of the criticism at the moment. Um, so I don't think it was a tactic to get get the, the, the attention off the players and onto him. I think he was, I think he was genuinely hurt and that's what I love like He's now got a point to prove. He's got a bit of fire in his belly. And I just hope, and I actually I know that Manchester United fans at the game on Sunday will be fully behind him, will be fully behind the team. Um, but if the results don't go the right way, then obviously the pressure will continue to mount for him. What is your sort of minimum requirement this season then from Louis van Gaal? Like, is it a top four finish? Is it a title challenge? What do you want and expect it has to see to be Manchester United do? Yeah. Especially given... The Leicester are top? Given the way the season's going, I'm not going to say given Leicester are top because Leicester fully deserve to be top, in my opinion. But, like, given the way the season's gone, everyone's beating everybody, we should be challenging for the league title. There's, there's, we've, got enough, we've got enough in the team. I mean, if you look at the team that lost to Norwich the other day, on paper, you would be confident in that 11 playing against any other Premier League team. So... Why haven't you know you, the, the, res, the results need to need to get better? They do you think to, there's a chance that you'll finish outside the top four though? Because we're looking he's, at he's Arsenal. He's the dressing room and he can he remains in charge. Mm. Yes, there's a chance, and that's why I think if we if he's lost the dressing room, we need to nip it in the bud very very quickly because we can't afford another year outside the Champions League. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Adam from Full Time Devils, thanks for joining us. Uh, of course, if people want to head over to see more of you, it is on Full Time Devils. What can they expect to see over there on YouTube? Um, 
there's stuff about Manchester United. There's a, there's a preview and predictions for the lineup for the Stoke game as well. Um, so check that out. Sam has a nice little rant. Excellent. <laughs> well, there you go. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, that was fascinating. That was a very interesting listen there to hear what uh, really nice. what Adam Mack had to say. Um, oh, still sort of behind Louis Van Gaal, um, but would maybe take Mourinho, even though he doesn't really want him. Um, Dave, would you so, would you be happy to see Mourinho there? Uh, well, yeah, if, if Guardiola goes to City, it's probably the only when. thing you can do is get Mourinho at United to keep United competitive. I think that was a great point Adam made is um, the club has, has been making a number of mistakes lately. Mourinho is the, is the obvious answer um, to sort of combat this. Just thinking today, who else would I want in the world of football to be the manager of Manchester United if Pep does go there? Lucien Favre could be a good um, option. He's out of work since leaving um, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach at the start of this season. He's a fantastic coach. He took over when they were in the relegation zone and he's turned them into a Champions League um, German side. You know, there's mm. the work still going on there. So he could be a good option, but Mourinho would be absolutely, you know, he's, he's a, he's I think a everyone's winner, forgetting that he's he a is winner. a winner and he's won so much. So I would, ha- you know. I hate to say it, but Mauricio Pochettino would probably fit the bill, wouldn't he? Bring through young players, play Pops. attacking football. Yeah. I mean, Edward, awesome. but if you're listening, hands off, mate. He's ours. Right. <laughs> that brings an end to this week's podcast. We're going to be back on Boxing Day for a special Christmas slash festive slash whatever podcast uh, questions coming in. It's going to be super fun. So make sure you listen then. Uh, until Happy holidays. Saturday. Yeah, Merry Christmas. We're not going to see you now until after Christmas. So Merry Christmas you to everyone listening out there. Um, until then if people want to go on Twitter and find you before Christmas Dave where can they go well they can go onto Twitter and they can put in S-Q-U-A-K sorry you missed out oh. a W you missed out a W I cannot believe it <laughs> sorry you spell out every bloody week and he missed out a W there we go there you have it and Lawrence where can people go Lostcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. And where can they go for you, At Adam Baldwood on Twitter. Uh, go there if you want to find me there. Go on YouTube, Football Republic, and subscribe because it's the right thing to do. We'll see you on Saturday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 